Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour one. Hello and welcome, America. It is Eric Erickson here, live from a real radio studio. I'm at my flagship station, WSB Today, instead of in my bunker. I don't know who comes in here and turns my headphone jack up to 10 when I'm not in here, but my goodness, we almost had to call a doctor as I blew out my eardrums a short time ago. <laughs> okay, uh, so I, I, this is one of the, the hard things I struggle with because I don't – let me just philosophically fill you in here. I promise there, there's a big story. Just wait for it. Let me just explain to you because this is four weeks from today, the midterms, four weeks from today. And being a political junkie, being someone who has spent my entire life, it seems, in politics and talking about politics, my gut says I should start – well, actually, my heart says I should start there. But my gut says there's a bigger story that's breaking, and I do news talk. Now, there are there are radio stations that are talk stations. They just have people talk about whatever they want, which is kind of what I do. But I really do believe that uh, I should do the timely news first, the breaking news. I should cover the breaking news in large part because in a day and age where a lot of people are convinced that radio is a dead industry, I'm not convinced it's a dead industry. So long as we're delivering the timely news, you can't get elsewhere. That by the time you hear the podcast next week, it's going to be outmoded, outdated. You're already going to know. But I can keep you more informed than all of your neighbors by listening. And so I feel like I've got to do – my gut says I need to do – this story that I'm about to do before I get to the midterms, but I do want you to stand by because we are four weeks away from the midterms, and I do want to talk about that, but I'm going to punt that for the second hour because this story I think is the biggest news story of the day, and it's one of those where you look at it and you say, but Trump, but Trump, from the media angle, Democrats are furious furious with Saudi Arabia for leading the OPEC plus nations to cut oil production. When you actually read what OPEC plus has done, particularly the OPEC countries, OPEC countries set quotas. And many of the countries that are producing the oil around the world can't even meet their quotas. The reason they can't meet the quotas is because most of those major oil companies producing the oil are contracted out Western oil companies who have relationships with these other nations. Aramco, which is uh, Saudi's oil company, is a state-owned oil company. But, for example, when my dad worked in the Middle East for uh, in Dubai— my dad was a production foreman. He was in charge of overseeing the, the operations of oil platforms in the Persian Gulf. He worked in, in what was called the Fata Field in the southwest Fata Field for a while, and he worked for Conoco. Conoco was the contracted entity for the Dubai Petroleum Company. If you remember what a Conoco logo looked like, it was an oval uh, really a rectangle, but with rounded edges on, on uh, the left and the right, and it had Conoco in the middle written, and the Dubai Petroleum Company logo looked just like that, except an Arabic script it had, Dubai Petroleum Company. But Conoco was the company that ran the Dubai Petroleum Company. The Dubai Petroleum Company is still in operation, although Dubai has very little oil these days. But it's now contracted out by a French company that took over the contract when basically all the oil was pumped out. 
So we lived there in the 80s. It was Conoco. Uh, Aramco hires a lot of and contracts with a lot of petroleum workers from Exxon and from British Petroleum and, and the like. BP, of course, uh, is a giant company, Exxon, Chevron, and the like. You have the French oil companies and the Norwegian oil companies, and they all kind of contract out to pump the oil from Nigeria and Gabon and Equatorial Guinea and, and uh, Yemen and, and Bahrain and Qatar and the like. Only Saudi has Aramco, their oil company, and even they do a lot of contracts with Western oil companies. Well, here's the problem. The Western oil companies, under pressure from Western governments, have scaled back their investment. So the OPEC plus nations are scaling back their quota demands by 2 million barrels a day because the Western oil companies can't keep up with production because they are slowly divesting as the West pursues this ESG, Environmental Social Governance Guidelines Agenda. It has degraded the Western companies' abilities to get oil out of the ground so they can't meet the quotas. That's why they're scaling back the 2 million barrels a day, it turns out. At least that's their excuse. The Democrats believe it's all political. And as a result, there is a huge story in the New York Times right now that Joe Biden is going to reevaluate our relationship with Saudi Arabia after oil production cuts. This is the subheading. Angered by the kingdom's decision to team up with Russia to slash petroleum output, the president signaled openness to retaliatory measures proposed in Congress, including a halt to arms sales and a new antitrust measure. Now, I need to put this in perspective. Two years ago, a Democrat House of Representatives impeached the then president of the United States for attempting to shake down, in their view, a foreign government, Ukraine, to influence elections. Joe Biden has sought to get the Saudis to reduce oil or to increase oil production to keep gas prices low to help Democrats in November because the Saudi government decided not to try to influence American elections by keeping gas prices low, Joe Biden and the Democrats are seeking now to punish the Saudis. Joe Biden, in other words, is shaping American policy based on Democratic electoral fortunes. He is doing exactly what the left said Donald Trump was doing in Ukraine. And notice the media saying very little about it. Here's the problem. Here, this this is legit problem, and I need to, I need to delve into history for you. Back in the 1970s, 70s and 80s, before I was born, even the Middle East was largely a British protectorate. And as Middle Eastern nations began spinning off on the Arabian Peninsula out of Britain and into their own nations, Oman, Bahrain, Qatar, South Yemen, North Yemen, Jordan, and the like, the Soviets filled a void where the British left. So American policymakers under Richard Nixon, Jimmy Carter, and Ronald Reagan 
began establishing strong ties in the Middle East. And the Americans wooed all of these countries in a way the Soviets could not. The Soviets essentially were able to make ground in Egypt and Syria. And for a time, convinced the Egyptians and the Syrians to unite under the Arab Nazi party. This is one of those dirty little bits of history that people tend to forget. The Ba'athist party that controls Syria is the Arab successor to the Nazi party. And for a time, Egypt and Syria were in alliance. The United States and the British were able to break up that alliance and get Egypt back to itself as an independent nation. And through a series of assassinations by radicals in the Middle East, uh, they were able to align behind uh, Hosni Mubarak in Egypt, who became a pro-Western government, and were able to bring essentially peace to Israel and Egypt over time as a result of it and bring peace into the Middle East. At the same time, Abu Dhabi and Dubai were the two big emirates of the United Arab Emirates. The the emirates are essentially seven sovereign states that have come together in their federation for the United Arab Emirates, very much like the United States of America. And it is by agreement in that government that the president will always be the head of Abu Dhabi, the king of Abu Dhabi, because it's the biggest. And the vice president and prime minister will always be the head of Dubai because it's the second. And then Sharjah and um, um, all the rest of the Emirates will fall in line. Ras al-Khaimah will fall in line. Fujairah will fall in line. Sharjah will fall in line. Uh, Dira was united with Dubai in marriage and is part of Dubai. I, this is where I grew up. And Dubai and Sharjah in particular were very American. Abu Dhabi was Soviet. Abu Dhabi was socialist. Abu Dhabi flirted with the Russians. Over time, as Abu Dhabi's oil output grew and Russia became a threat, the Americans, prior to the Gulf War in the 1990s, were able to solidify ties with Abu Dhabi and make it much more Western. Dubai, for years, when I was growing up in the 80s, had liquor stores. If you were an American, you go to the liquor store there. And Abu Dhabi did not. Abu Dhabi was more fundamentalist, more socialist, and over time, it's relaxed and become very Western. The entirety of the United Arab Emirates now largely a Western Mecca that actually gives a safe haven to Russian mobsters. They've all been very Western. And the United States understood that as long as the United States stood with them, it could stand with Israel in opposition to Iran because Iran was the destabilizing force of the Middle East. And we kept the Saudis and the United Arab Emirates and and the rest of the Middle East supplied with arms. They were American arms, so they stayed allied with us. So they largely did our bidding in the Middle East. But Joe Biden has decided to upend all of that because he wants to deal with Iran and he's upset that the Saudis are not helping the United States Democrats in the midterm elections. Joe Biden risks undoing 40 years of American foreign policy wins in the Middle East because the Saudis aren't going to help him win a midterm election. Joe Biden is disrupting the legacies of all of the American presidents before him, Democrat and Republican, because he's furious that the Saudis aren't doing his bidding to keep gas prices low. 
That's on Joe Biden. And if it were Donald Trump, the media would be outraged. The media would be demanding an impeachment. But because it's Biden and the Democrats, they can get away with upending 40 years of American foreign policy shared on a bipartisan basis and allow the Russians to come in and fill a void after we spent decades pushing them out of the Middle East. All because Joe Biden wants to mitigate Democratic disasters in the midterms and because he and the Democrats are held hostage to the environmentalist cult that has decided we must restrain our own domestic production. So what is the net result of this? Joe Biden now has allowed the Saudis and OPEC to put us over a oil barrel because they won't increase domestic production. They are forcing Western oil companies to wind down their exploration and production. And we're increasingly reliant on a country Joe Biden doesn't like. It's like Joe Biden is playing chess to lose. He's not playing checkers. I would like to say he's playing checkers and everyone else is playing chess. No, Joe Biden is playing chess and doesn't know how to play the game. He's put his pieces on the board and lined up his king perfectly to be checkmated. He's The problem, though, is that the pieces on Joe Biden's board are us, you and me. He's lined this country up to weaken it. His advisors really do believe a diminished United States would be good for global warming. But the result is is that the Saudis now have us over a barrel. There's no love loss between Biden and the Saudis. What Donald Trump was able to do with the Saudis was remarkable. He brought peace to the Middle East. Donald Trump brought peace to the Middle East. Donald Trump was able to get the Israelis and the Saudis and the UAE and the Egyptians and the Jordanians and the Bahrainians and the Omanis to find peace and alliance together against Iran. And now Joe Biden wants to fund Iran and diminish Saudi Arabia, and the Russians and the Chinese will fill the void, and it will be to our national detriment. And you know and I know darn well if Donald Trump had done this, the media and the Democrats would be demanding his impeachment, and instead they're hating on the Saudis for potentially emboldening a Republican wave in November. I want to tell you guys a little about a group I've been working with, Americans for Prosperity. Maybe you've heard of them. They're the largest grassroots network in the country fighting to expand freedom and opportunity so that we can unleash prosperity in America again. Here's what I like about Americans for Prosperity. They focus on building movements at the community level, not Washington, D.C. That's actually how I first came to know them, in Georgia, helping rise up the Tea Party movement in 2010. They understand we're not going to find solutions in Washington. we got to take power out of Washington that's going to have to come from Americans like you outside the Beltway bubble. That's why I'm excited to partner with Americans for Prosperity to provide an effective platform where we can talk to our fellow Americans and advocate for solutions to the most critical challenges facing the country. I encourage you to learn more about Americans for Prosperity by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877 877- Nine seven three seven four two five. Before I get to phones or anything else, I want to invite you October twenty eighth. Wherever you're listening, even if you're way over in our affiliate in in Oregon, you are more than welcome 
to come to Atlanta and hang out with me on a gun range, the nation's largest indoor skeet shooting facility, uh, sample some bourbons, and hang out. This uh, is Governor's Gun Club in Kennesaw, Georgia, October 28th, starting at 5 p.m. Uh, if you don't drink, if you're if you're not a bourbon drinker, you come. Um, you're going to be able to explore the range. If you're a drinker, they're going to give you a voucher to come back and use the gun range. They obviously don't want you drinking and being on the gun range. But you can check out the facility. It's just cool as all get out. And then we're going to start the event around 7 or so. And I'm going to have uh, a representative from Brian Kemp's campaign to talk about the end of the midterms, Rich McCormick, who will be going to Congress in January. He'll be there with me. Uh, I'm going to take your questions. I'm going to spend time hanging out with you, give you a detailed insider's briefing on the last week. It'll be the last week before the midterms. You can come. All you need to do is text BOURBON to 33777 and buy tickets. Uh, you can get a general admission ticket and come for the general event. If you want the VIP ticket, you get to come early, hang out with me specifically, um, and sample the bourbons, uh, your choice. I have For those of you who've tried it in the past and, and you were having trouble navigating it, you do need to be sure to check the terms and conditions box when you buy the ticket. Some people have emailed and said, hey, I'm trying and I can't buy the tickets. There's a terms and conditions box you got to check. Text the word bourbon to 33777. And I am glad to hang out with you and, and give you the lay of the land that week before the elections. Now, uh, I want to jump to the phones. I got about two and a half minutes here. Bill, you're going to be up first today. Welcome. Eric, you just mentioned that Donald Trump brought peace to the Middle East, uh, which he did. He got yep. peace treaty signed, which had never been bef- done before and people said was impossible to do. But yet he did not receive the Nobel Peace Prize. Exactly. And then you had Barack Obama, who received the Nobel Peace Prize almost before he was even uh, put in the White House and had absolutely done nothing but just be there. What kind of credibility do you think now people have about the Nobel Peace Prize? Oh, I don't think I mean, you know, I nearly lost my job at CNN because I. Uh, well, it was they they dredged up a comment I had made about Barack Obama. Essentially, him getting the Nobel Peace Prize was like affirmative action for America haters. We didn't have enough American hating Americans to get the Nobel Prize, and they had to give it to Obama in two thousand nine. Uh, it nearly cost me my job, but I stand by the remark. The Nobel Peace Prize tends to go to people, particularly Americans who hate America, which is why Barack Obama got it. He went on the world apology tour after becoming president of the United States. States. Uh, the Nobel Peace Prize is a largely discredited entity. I do not take it seriously at all. Uh, Donald Trump did more to bring peace to the Middle East than Barack Obama. The only reason Barack Obama got it was because he replaced George W. Bush in the White House. Everybody knew it. He literally had done nothing and they gave him the Nobel Peace Prize. He had barely even become president when he got it. Or maybe he hadn't even become president yet when he got it. All he had done was was become president, uh, got elected president. That was it. Donald Trump, through the Abraham Accords, brought peace to the Middle East. Uh, that was Siri going off. If you heard Siri, she's going nuts on my arm, uh, my watch. But uh, Donald Trump brought peace to the Middle East. Donald Trump got Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Oman, Egypt, and the like to begin not just recognizing Israel, but trade ties with Israel. When I was a kid, you couldn't make a phone call from Israel to the UAE and vice versa. Today, you can not only make a phone call, you can travel between the two countries. El Al and Emirates Airlines land in each other's countries. Donald Trump did that. Everyone said he couldn't. All the experts laughed at him for trying, and he got done what the rest of them couldn't do. 
maybe we should stop listening to the liberal elite experts. So winter is coming, and I got to tell you, I love the weight of the bull and branch sheets. I like them in the summer when it's hot and you don't want a lot of covers on you. But in the wintertime, they're just the perfect weight, the perfect, I don't know, smoothness. They're 100% organic cotton threads. They've got super softness. They get softer every time you wash them. They're just the drape when you're laying down and stuff. They're not. They're just perfect sheets. I love them. Uh, I am effusive with my praise for Bull and Branch, and I'm delighted to have them as an advertiser. Look, they're made from the highest quality threads. They got superior softness. They got over twenty five thousand rave customer reviews and counting. I'm one of them. The quality you can tell is great. They hold up well after all the washes I've put them through. And they just get softer. It doesn't matter what the thread count is. The fiber sucks. And you can tell they put a lot of great detail into the fibers they use. And look, Bola Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping, returns on all orders. You're going to feel the difference. You're not going to want to send them back. The first 100% organic fair trade certified bedding company ever. They use 90% less water than conventional production, zero pesticides, other chemical, toxic chemicals. They don't use them. It's just fantastic. Listen, I'm effusive with my praise. I love Bull & Branch. Try them for yourself. And again, you get a 30-night risk-free trial, free shipping, returns on all orders. Try the sheets that will make you fall for the coziest night sleep in the season where you want cozy sheets. 15% off your first set of sheets. Free shipping when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Trust me, they're worth it. We've got five bedrooms, five beds, Bolin Branch sheets on every bed. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, should you wish to be on the program, 877 973 7425. You will notice Linda in Opelika, Alabama. Calling you out, Linda. Got an angry email from somebody, Linda. She lives in Opelika, Alabama. She says, I give the phone number too fast. So there you have it. I gave it to you slow. If you want it again, well, just keep listening. I didn't even email her back the phone number. I told her I was going to give it to her slow on radio. She would have to listen. Okay. Breaking news. Uh, it is happening right now. Uh, the rail union, the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way employees, has rejected the labor deal brokered by the Biden administration. Uh, there will not be an immediate uh, strike. The strike could come next month. They are negotiating fervishly. Uh, the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division of the Teamsters said six, 56% of its more than 11,000 workers have voted against the agreement uh, that the Biden administration negotiated. Some of the provisions would allow workers to avoid attendance penalties for routine medical visits and hospitalizations. The proposal included the biggest wage increase in more than four decades, but the deal did not address a number of unpaid sick days for which workers would now be eligible among other issues, and the sick days were the big ones. Now, talking to friends of mine in the railway industry, and I did not realize how many of you who listen to this program work for the rail industry. My goodness, I've got genius listeners uh, across a wide spectrum of America. Here's what they all tell me so you understand the concern here. Because I didn't know this except from my listeners in the rail industry. They get X number of days off. Let's say it's 15 days. You get 15 days off. And you're thinking, well, I get 15 days off. 
Yeah, but here's the problem. They get 15 days off for vacation. They get those 15 days off for bereavement. They get those 15 days off for sick. They get those 15 days off, period, 15 days. You get sick and you're on your 14th day. Well, you can miss your 15th day to go to the doctor and uh, then you better be at work on the 16th day. And you can't take off anymore. Your mom dies, tough. You can't go to the funeral. That's what they're dealing with. I have heard this now from enough people who work in the rail industry, uh, that, and it's been reported enough now in the media that, that that's the case. There is zero flexibility. The railroad companies strictly adhere to the terms of the agreement, and the agreement gives them 15 days or 20 days or whatever is based, based on length of service. Now, I know a guy who was the very first person to tell me about this. He works near me on one of the major rail hubs in the country and said that he makes six figures. He gets an incredibly generous salary. But he's been at this company for more than a decade, and he still gets no flexibility whatsoever in sick days. He can't go to kids' programs during the day because he can't take a half day. It's always got to be a full day. So he's got kids, and he misses all of their stuff that happens during the school day. If he has to leave because there's an illness in the family or he gets sick, he's got to alter his vacation days and leave the family behind on vacation to get back. There's zero flexibility whatsoever. And he's salaried, and he's supposed to work a a job eight hours a day, and most days he works 13 to 14 hours, and he gets no overtime. And they pay him generously, and he has no complaints about the pay. And he's like, I'm I'm willing to get a pay reduction in order to get more flexibility with life. That's that's what he's dealing with here. You know, I, I work in a situation where I, I, I try for years and years and years and years. I try not to take vacation days. It got to the point where the people at, at my radio company forced me to take vacation days. Now I'm at the point where I realize, you know, it actually does me some good to step out and refresh. But most of the time when I'm gone, like yesterday, I was gone yesterday, uh, we were supposed to be out of town for a family vacation and everybody got sick. And so instead of being gone, I was taking care of everybody yesterday. So I couldn't be here. I'll be gone Tuesday and Wednesday next week, but it's not vacation days. It's actually work. I've got to go for work events and do things for work. And I won't be on radio, but it doesn't mean I'm not working. I will actually be working pretty hard on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Um, but this is just mind-numbing to me. In, in, in my job, I get flexibility. If I need a day off, I can generally have a day off unless the ratings suck. And the ratings are really good, so I can get the day off. And I try not to get the day off because I would much rather be here with you guys these three hours a day than pretty much anywhere else, which is also a problem with my family because they sometimes think I love y'all more than them. And I really, really love my family. I do. But you guys don't use my credit cards, and so I appreciate that. Now, the railroad strike, it may happen, but it would be after the election now, it seems. So uh, there is that. Ken Cuccinelli is a good friend of mine, and he was with the Department of Homeland Security. He is urging uh, that everyone uh, in the, on the Republican side of the aisle begin to treat the Mexican drug cartels as at war with the United States. Treat them as terrorists. Uh, Russ Vote, a longtime dear friend of mine, is the former director of the Office of Management and Budget. 
He leads the Center for Renewing America. Ken Cuccinelli, who was number two at DHS, is with him there. Uh, I, I, I hate to say nice things about my buddy Wade Miller, but Wade is the executive director there. I'll see Wade next week and maybe Russ as well. And the Center for American Renewal is pushing very hard in a policy paper to treat the drug cartels as if they're at war with the United States. They want the American government to shut down legal ports of entry based on estimates of undocumented crossings. The proposal follows widely publicized efforts by Republican governors and candidates to ship migrants to Democratic cities, send the National Guard to the border, and promise to declare an invasion in Arizona. The southern border is a vulnerability for Biden and the Democrats, given the large number of migrants and asylum seekers crossing daily, according to Axios, smuggling has fueled the U.S. struggle with the opioid addiction. Now, the Biden administration says it's working to stem the root causes of the illegal immigration, but it's clearly not enough. Now, here's what Russ Vote and the um, Center for Renewing America wants. Uh, they want to call for a formal declaration of war and coordination with the Mexican government and branches of the U.S. military. The problem here is that the Mexican government is widely believed to be subsidized at this point by the drug cartels. It's asking Congress to consider passing a trigger mechanism, shutting down legal ports of entry at the border based on the number of migrants and asylum seekers crossing illegally. It would look to the Navy to interdict drug smuggling vessels and the Treasury Department to sanction specific cartel leaders. Biden doesn't like the idea. Trump floated the idea for cracking down on the cartels, uh, even wanting to do military strikes on, on the drug manufacturing facilities in Mexico. Now, the Democrats, of course, say it's a dumb idea. Roberta Jackson was uh, the U.S. ambassador to Mexico from May of 2016 to May of 2018. Biden's former border czar as well. Uh, said, quote, it's a dumb idea, not least because the U.S. has been sanctioning cartel leaders, money launderers, under the Kingpin Act for decades and declaring war how? By mobilizing the U.S. military to act in Mexico? Not going to happen. They're ridiculing this. A, a White House spokesman said the Biden-Harris administration has been leading an unprecedented effort to target transnational criminal organizations. Let's step away from the spin of the story and just talk about it this way. I live in Georgia. The other day, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation of the DEA seized a massive pile of fentanyl tablets. This is the second major shipment of fentanyl. Fentanyl is so deadly that one shipment could kill everybody in the state of Georgia if it were somehow unleashed. It's not going to happen, obviously, but it could. Fentanyl in and of itself can be addictive. And just so that you understand, as, as someone explained it to me, now don't hold this to me, but but a, a sheriff explained it to me this way. A person goes out into rural Georgia, buys some land, and begins to grow marijuana on the property. Marijuana, unless you're, you, unless you're smoking the, the concentrates, the vapor cartridges and things like that, marijuana, just a joint, isn't highly uh, addictive. 
Marijuana over time has been bred to get stronger and more potent, but your standard just like green leafy, stinky marijuana that you smell in cities as people are in their cars, for God's sakes, driving and smoking joints. It's unbelievable, but nonetheless, it's not really that addictive. Some people, it becomes a habit, but it's not an addiction. It becomes a habit. Well, you can lace the marijuana with fentanyl. And as the joint burns, you ingest the fentanyl and it makes the marijuana addictive. You don't realize you are actually there with fentanyl. It increases the highs. The problem is that your cut rate drug dealers don't know exactly what they're doing and they can put in too much fentanyl and you're going to die. You're going to fall asleep and you're going to die. And there have been a lot of deaths around the country from people smoking marijuana or using other drugs that were themselves laced with fentanyl at too high a dose and it kills them. Fentanyl in and of itself can be very diluted in a form to give you a high and you get very addicted. It's a lot of it manufactured in China, shipped to Mexico and smuggled across the border, but increasingly it's manufactured in Mexico. And what you have to understand about it more than anything else is that it's not what you're using. It's not what the drug addicts are using. It's not what the opioid addicts are using. It's laced into the products they're using to make those products more potent and addictive. And the cartels don't care about your kids or your siblings or your parents who have this addiction, who will probably at some point get a batch that is laced too high and will kill them. They're coming across the border in record numbers now. 50,000 gotaways a month. That's a fancy way of saying 50,000 people got away from the Border Patrol every month. For all the ones they're rounding up, 50,000 are getting away. We don't know who they are. In many cases, they are people bringing drugs across the border. They are terrorists. They are other people who we don't want here. And the Biden administration has not been willing to secure the border. The GOP is turning it into a campaign issue. And the Biden administration, interestingly enough, has started finishing off parts of the border wall Donald Trump built in the McAllen, Texas area. They haven't wanted publicity for it because they don't want the Democrats out there to see that they're doing something that Donald Trump supported. That's right. Joe Biden is finishing portions of the border wall in the McAllen, Texas area. He doesn't want publicity for it because he's afraid it'll alienate progressives who do not want a sealed border. Part of me honestly thinks these people want the fentanyl here to cause overdoses as a method of population control for the environment. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly. I don't actually think that's what they want, but it really wouldn't surprise me if I found out that was all part of the plan. It's a big deal. And kudos to the Center for Renewing America for thinking outside the box and for Ken Cuccinelli raising the profile of this issue. Again, Donald Trump, when he was president, brought peace to the Middle East by ignoring the experts. We have a real problem on the southern border. The experts say not only is it not a problem, but you're a bigot if you think it's a problem. Again, maybe we need to ignore the experts. Speaking of, I have a new advertiser that I want to tell you about. And I have long been fans of this organization, and I hope you will be fans of this organization as well. It's called Americans for Prosperity. 
Now, you got a lot of think tanks in Washington, D.C., and they never leave Washington, D.C. I got involved with Americans for Prosperity back in the early 2000s. With the rise of the Tea Party movement, they were giving the tools for the Tea Party movement to organize around the country. Now, as conservative organizations go, they've never wavered in what they believe in, free people and free markets. And they provide the intellectual arguments for conservatives at the ground level to advocate at the state level for those ideas. They build up a grassroots army around the country. And that grassroots army has been vital in a number of states, pushing those states to the right on sound public policy. And I am delighted to advertise for them. I have had a long-time relationship with them going back to the rise of the Tea Party movement in the early 2000s. And I want you to check them out. If you want good ideas for free markets and free people, and you want to take those ideas and see them implemented in your state, Americans for Prosperity builds ground game grassroots organizing communities around the country. They'd love to have you support them. And also, if you just want to really think deeply about the ideas that benefit free people and free markets, Americans for Prosperity has your back. Go check them out, americansforprosperity.org, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Delighted to have them with me. I am a longtime consumer of their research and policy ideas. If you want to get smarter and understand public policy from a conservative perspective, no better group out there right now with a ground game at the grassroots level. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Uh, the show notes will be coming out shortly. I am sorry for the delay. Um, we were, I was having to come up to the office today, got held up. Um, but I'll have the show notes out for you here shortly. Well, I will crack the whip on Philip and making get him out the door shortly now that I'm on radio. Uh, if you want to subscribe, cause it really is show prep for your mind, you can text the word show to three, three, seven, seven, seven. In fact, I've revised that now might bankrupt me. <laughs> um, just, just, it's a, it's a text message. And if you text the word show to three, three, seven, 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 what's going to happen is you will get the links to the podcast, the links to the live stream, the links to me on social media. So you get my Instagram link and you can follow me on Instagram and then also a uh, link to the daily email at the bottoms. You can subscribe and get the show notes. It'll be out here in just a moment. Uh, I want to jump real quick to the phones here. Got about a minute and a half, Ivan. I wanted to get to this story. Welcome to the show. Ivan? Hello? Hi there. Yes. Hi. Um, I heard over the weekend that PayPal was uh, buying or threatening to find people $2,500 as part of their terms and conditions. And then there was a backlash of people uh, canceling their accounts. Supposedly, Facebook kind of backed down. But then there was an article today, PJ Media, that said actually they have not backed down. Um, They still have buried deep in their terms and conditions and acceptance of use policies. Um, that if you know you promote hate and intolerance by their definition, then uh, they can still 
$2,500. Yeah, look, um, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I think that uh, PayPal stepped in it with their program, and they did see a loss of business, and they walked it back and said, no, 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 it's a misunderstanding. I kind of resent like hell that I've got a couple of groups that I do business with where the only way to do business and I have to do business with them uh, is with PayPal. I, do, I don't like PayPal. I didn't like PayPal to begin with. I think it's a garbage platform these days um, and, and just has relied on its name to keep going. But yes, uh, PayPal for organizations that use it, that contribute to hate groups and the like, they want to hold $2,500 out of your account. And now they're saying, we didn't mean it, we didn't mean it, we're walking it back. So are you saying that you guys spread misinformation? Do all of us who are your users get $2,500 now? This is what happens when they bend to the wokes, when they bow to the wokes. Um, it, it, they, they should have not done this. They should have been more careful. They say it was a misunderstanding. They didn't really mean it that way, and it was spun out from beneath them in ways they never meant. Well, they should clarify as opposed to now walking back and saying, we didn't mean it. Um, the wokes will make you care. Woko Haram comes for all of us in one way or another. When we come back, I will get into the midterms. We're four weeks away. Here's what you need to know when we come back.